0: I never made you a title slide, did I? <laughs> Whoops. It was a busy week. Uh, so I guess I'm, I am embarrassed. Right? Uh, but have any of you guys ever been embarrassed in public? Anybody? Okay. Uh, I, uh, and I, some of you guys will remember this. I'll never forget my very first Christmas Eve service as your pastor here. Uh, It was actually the largest Christmas Eve service we've ever had then or or since. In fact, the place was so packed, we had to bring in, remember Marshall, the metal folding chairs from the shed? Uh, And and so I I opened the service with a greeting, and I said a prayer, and and then I gave the the cue for one of the deacons at the time to come up the aisle and light the Advent wreath, except nobody came. (laughs) And, and, And I had already said everything that I could say at that point uh, in the liturgy, without the candles being lit, when I see out of the corner of my eye, because I can see into the office from here, that the person that was supposed to be coming to light the candles uh, was distracted in their printing and folding more bulletins and not coming out anytime soon. And and, and I could feel the cold sweat start to run down my back as 260 pairs of eyes uh, stared at me to the sound of deafening silence. now, of course, it all, it all worked out. Everything was, you know, fine. Life went on. Uh, but it definitely was not the kind of experience that I want to repeat. And, and I'd be willing to bet that many of you have shared a similar fate at some point in your life. Uh, like forgetting your, your, to put your phone on silent and it rings during church. Yeah. Um, asking someone if she's pregnant and then finding out she's not. <laughs> Uh, how about this, waving at someone? It turns out that you don't actually know. That happened to Kitty and I the other day when we were out shopping. Some guy just started talking to me from his car window, and like, I have no—he must have thought I was somebody else. Or, or this is a good one: thinking that someone is waving at you or talking to you when they're not. Right? Uh, how about forgetting somebody's name when you're introducing them to a group? Yeah. I mean, you name it. Because let's face it: even the most poised among us fall into some pretty embarrassing situations now and then. But it's how you handle in the counts. And we're going to be looking at that in, in a sort of way, uh, how some of the ways that different people handle public embarrassment uh, in today's text as we continue our summertime look through the book of Acts. So I want to just dive right in, read the text, and then we'll start to unpack it. So uh, we're going to be reading mo- most of chapter five, actually. Um, so Acts chapter five, beginning in verse 12 through verse 42. So I hope you're following along in your own Bibles you're looking at it there in front of you so you can make reference to it later when you're at home. Uh, verse 12 tells us now, uh, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple, the chief priest, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, these men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them Uh, But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up, gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even find that you are opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And when they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our father, we thank you for the bold witness uh, of these men who uh, were unashamed to speak your gospel, whether it was in the temple Uh, in private homes, in the public marketplace, and we ask you, Father, for that same holy boldness, and we ask for the movement of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts in these next few moments that we would receive from this text all that you have for us, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started out by saying that, you know, each and every one of us know what it's like to be embarrassed, right? Whether it's things you've said or things you've done or involuntary noises you've made, uh tripping over your own feet. Uh, and when those things happen, uh, psychologists suggest there's like two broad categories of response, either number one, pretend it didn't happen through some sort of avoidance, or, or just confront it head on and own it, right? It happened, deal with it. Uh, those folks in the avoidance camp though, take every embarrassment as like a psychic blow to their self-esteem, right? Like a, a blow that, that, that hits them in the pit of their stomach and makes them feel threatened right to the very core of their being and when shame like that rears its ugly head the folks in those camps often feel really helpless and humiliated to the point where the only way to avoid those emotions is to substitute them for anger and rage at someone else at anyone else right on the other hand people who appear immune to embarrassment so to say don't allow themselves to be knocked down for long they have a completely different outlook For one thing, they tend to be very self-confident people who know who they are and what they believe. And I tell you all of that because those ideas are kind of a great little overlay to the text that we just read and gives us perhaps maybe a little deeper insight into these two contenders that are pitted against each other in today's account from the book of Acts. And I bet you can already tell which group falls into which category. Uh, But let's look at them one at a time. Firstly, the Sadducees boy do they have a lot to be embarrassed about right not the least of which were all the miracles going on because if you remember from last week one of the major theological problems that the Pharisees possessed was their choice not to believe in anything supernatural not to believe in any kind of spiritual beings not to believe in uh, eternal afterlife or in miracles but what did we just read the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. So at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And then further down, uh, crowds gathered also from towns in Jerusalem, bringing their sick. And those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with... With jealousy, And I mentioned to you guys in Sunday school, um, I think Fred brought it up about looking at the text in some of the original languages. A better translation of the sense there might have said they were filled with fierceness or combative rivalry. In other words, they turned their embarrassment into rage. Right? I mean, and think about it. These were the guys who went around preaching and teaching that God was some kind of distant creator who you know yes deserved our respect but who didn't interfere in the daily lives of his people and who certainly never supernaturally stepped into them and yet here's all these sick people suddenly being healed and here's these demons screaming as they were cast out and afraid of peter's shadow Uh, do you think the sadducees felt a little bit stupid you bet they did and i love the line from back in acts 4 that we read in a previous sermon This always strikes me as funny. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, what could they say? What could they say? And not only did the miracles embarrass them, but the disciples' insistence on preaching the resurrection, guys, sent them into a tailspin. Because remember, too, the Sadducees only accepted just the Torah, just the first five books of the Bible as scripture. And since Moses' five books are primarily law and history, without a very specific reverence to the resurrection, they, they just dismissed that idea out of hand. In fact, that was the source of one of their biggest arguments with Jesus in Matthew 22, until our Lord finally said to them, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And in Exodus 3.15, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Just the same way that the folks on Solomon's colonnade were astonished by the teachings of Peter and the apostles in our text today. And if you think about it, they had one or two things to feel embarrassed about as well, didn't they? Uh, they were part of what their contemporaries considered a newfangled, non conforming, heretical sect of believers. They had been living outside the mainstream of society for the last three years, uh, following a controversial teacher who their leaders had condemned and crucified as a treasonous criminal. The disciples themselves had already been part of an official inquiry from the highest court in the land, and now they stood here arrested and tried, spent the night in jail. They were publicly threatened and disrespected. And to add injury to insult, they were beaten for their beliefs, You think they felt a little self-conscious about stepping back up to preach after all of that? You think they felt a little backward about talking back to their religious leaders when the whole force of government seemed to be against them? You think they might have been a little ashamed for people to see the scars that still showed on their bodies and the blood splatter on their clothing that gave evidence to the scourging they'd received? But in spite of all of that, they remained undaunted and untamed. And we read in Peter... And the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And he said, We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Because see, these men were men who were unashamed. See, these guys didn't allow themselves to be knocked down for long. They had a completely different outlook. They knew who they were, and they knew what they believed, and and not because of some psychological construct, but because they had stood in the presence of the risen Christ. In fact, the apostle John was so affected by that that he would later write uh, in his first epistle, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We we touched him with our own hands, and and he touched us. He's the word of life that we proclaim to you, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ who would quite literally knock Saul of Tarsus off his high horse as he went about persecuting and killing Christians Causing him later as the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. And brothers and sisters, we have many possibly uh, reasons to be ashamed of ourselves, but not to be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. The gospel that is the life the death, the resurrection, the ascension of King Jesus is the message that God has left for us as his church to proclaim. And it's the most powerful message in the world. It doesn't just have power. The Bible says it is power because it's a person. And church, that person is Jesus. And his message is unlike anything else that the world has ever seen. And I want you to think about it for a minute like this. Th- think about the other world religions out there. And then there's a point at which there's a division between the religious leader or founder and his teachings. Okay? Like, for instance, Buddha doesn't offer redemption. His four noble truths and his eightfold path are supposed to lead you to nirvana. Uh, Muhammad doesn't get people to heaven. It's the beauty of the Quran, read in the original Arabic script that Muslims turn to. Joseph Smith doesn't save Mormons. It's his angelic revelation that's supposed to. But for us Christians, the word of Christ is the person of Christ. He's the message and he's the messenger that brings radical change in a life when people are quite literally born again through a miraculous, sovereign, gracious renewal of the human heart. It's the reason Jesus said to Nicodemus, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And Jesus' message is crystal clear here. He he could have used any illustration in heaven or on earth to compare to the gift of salvation, but he chose to use the illustration of birth. How how many of you guys here had anything to do with your physical birth? (laughs) Anybody meet up with their parents before you showed up on the scene and iron out all the details and choose where and when you were going to be born? Of course you didn't. Right? You just woke up one day and you were here. You existed. You were brought into being by the God-given miracle of procreation without a clue, at least for a little while, how you got here. The same is true for our rebirth into the kingdom. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born from God by the will of heaven. And in fact, that very will of God is the reason that the great teacher Gamaliel stood up in the council as we read. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was highly honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered for the men to be put out for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin and he said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And brothers and sisters, just like those men that Gamaliel mentioned, all of the other exponents of all the other world religions are dead. Buddha is dead. Mohammed is dead. Joseph Smith is dead, but church Jesus Christ is alive. And he came to give us that life. Have you received it? Do you have it today? You know, the apostles did and nothing and no one could convince them otherwise. But has that happened for you? Have you heard the call of the father in the voice of the son speaking to you by the breath of the Holy Spirit? Or are you finding yourself sitting here this morning or listening to this message online and you're fighting against God and and you're spurning his mercy? Because if you are, what you're doing is fighting God's only provision for your salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And if you're a believer, but you somehow think that you're a believer because you're so smart or so holy or that you have it all put together and you've got there all on your own, you're still battling against God because you're not giving God the glory. And if you're not giving God the glory, you're fighting against him. Or have you experienced a change? A change where Ezekiel describes having a heart of stone that's exchanged for a heart of flesh that can respond to Christ's call where you're transformed by the Holy Spirit and made free to desire God and proclaim his kingdom above everything else Uh, above the praise or blame of men above the fear of prison or persecution uh, above our own personal desire and comfort being untamed and unashamed and ready as the Bible says to preach the word ready in season and out of season to reprove to rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching, always being sober-minded, enduring suffering during the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Rejoicing if we ever find ourselves counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ, and day after day in this church and from house to house, never ceasing to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And with a heart full of eagerness, and a passion so that the world will know, church, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the story of these men, these apostles, uh, who after standing in the presence of the risen Christ, wouldn't deny it, uh, wouldn't go back on their word, wouldn't teach anything else, even for fear of death. And so, Father, we ask that you would grant us that same holy boldness as we go uh, out into the the world, into the marketplace of ideas, back to our homes and our families and our parks. Uh, Send that message with us, Lord. Uh, Help us to be bold to speak your name, to proclaim your kingdom, and to, to give that offer of forgiveness, making disciples as you've commanded us to do. And, Father, we ask all of these things gratefully in Jesus' name, trusting all that you're about to do in and through us this week. Amen.